Hi, I'm Joaquin Evans, co-senior leader of Bethel Austin. I pray that Jesus ministers to you through today's message and that you are blessed deeply. If you're encouraged, please like and subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of our weekly sermons. Enjoy the message. Amazing. Y'all got me up here two minutes early. That was amazing. Y'all notice those speed announcements and stuff we were doing? Yeah, that was amazing. I appreciate that. That way I don't have to rush too much. How's everybody doing? It's been a fantastic morning so far. Amen. I love the worship this morning. Worship is always good. You know, it always feels funny to be like, worship was so good because it should always be good. Amen. But I just really enjoyed the songs. I enjoyed Bethany leading us. It was so good this morning. Well, um, this morning I'm going to be talking about the power of agreement. And I've got a little appetizer here. I think it ties in. But um, I've been spending a lot of time in looking at some of uh, uh, Charles Finney's uh, writings. And Charles Finney is, is known as the father of modern revivalism. And uh, he had a ministry, if you don't know, most of you probably know who he was, but he was a law student turned evangelist. He had an encounter with God. And he's really considered by most revival historians to be the greatest revivalist um, in, in modern history. And uh, an interesting thing about Charles is he was very much into social reforms. Um, he really uh, was speaking on behalf of slaves, and he wanted to see slavery abolished. And this was in uh, 1820s. And so for him to do that back in that time, that's, slavery was at its height during that time, and he was speaking against it. He actually, if slave owners came to his meetings, he would not allow them to take communion. Um, so he was, very, he was very, very strong. He also, this, because this didn't happen back then, he allowed women to pray in meetings, and that was not allowed. So he was very much for social reform. And the founder of the YMCA read a paper by him uh, way back then, and uh, was saved reading that paper and became convicted that he needed to help people. So he started the YMCA, which is very different today than it was, but it really had a mission uh, to reach men. And then the, the YWCA, I think, was started as well for women, and they really, it was really an outreach. And so that came out of Finney's ministry. And so he was also, and I just want you to hear this. Now, this is a revivalist. This is a wild, crazy revivalist. He's, for these, he's going after these social issues. He was also a professor of systematic theology. All right? So sometimes we think, oh, uh, a revivalist couldn't also be a theologian. But he was, he was a theologian as well. Um, often when he preached the gospel, people didn't who know Jesus would begin. And he would, whenever he would say the word hell, they would begin to smell smoke. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty, uh, pretty effective, right? I'd like to be an evangelist with that tool. That, that works pretty good. That warms people up, you know. Okay. <laughs> that was a good one. I, that wasn't planned, all right? So uh, anyway, entire towns were often would come under the power of God when he would go into those towns. Um, it, somewhere around estimated 500,000 salvations happened in his ministry. And, you know, back then, this wasn't just like, oh, we think they kind of prayed. I mean, they were like, 
undone by God and would come into the, into the kingdom. So had these powerful encounters. And uh, his hometown, now think about this, his hometown had 100,000 conversions in it as Rochester, New York. And an interesting thing about him, you know, I feel like some of Bethel's theology comes out of some of his belief as well. He, he did not believe that revival was, and I want you to hear me on this, was just something that happened sovereignly. Now, he believed in the sovereignty of God, but he believed that people had a role in revival. And during that time, there was a lot of very Calvinist, uh, Puritan-type theology that was basically like, you know, if God, God does it, you have no part in it. You have no response in it. It's just something that God does. And uh, it's true that God is sovereign. He can do anything, anytime he wants, and he often breaks out that way. But we also have a part in revival. And so Finney believed that, and he, if you type in Charles Finney, the first thing that'll come up on Google is someone that is attacking the horrible theology of Charles Finney because he believed that. Number one on Google today. Um, but, you know, it, it's easier to think that revival is only a sovereign act. Now, again, God can do it that way, and he often does, but it's easier to think that way because it abdicates our responsibility. You know, if God's just gonna do it, then there's no need, I don't need to pray, I don't need to do anything, right? And so we have a responsibility, and, um, and God uh, has a responsibility, and um, he does move sovereignly, but he also moves as we begin to step into the work that he has already done and provided for us. Amen? Amen. So <clears throat> that's just a little bit about Finney. I, I've got two quotes by him as well. I wanted to give you just a little background if you're not familiar with him. But he said this, a revival will stop whenever the church believes it's going to cease. That was his number one hindrance to revival. The moment you believe it's going to cease, it'll stop. And he said it this way, the church are the instruments with which God carries on this work, and they are to work in it voluntarily and with their hearts. I want you to hear that. Volunteers, all right? Nothing is more fatal. Amen? All right. Say it again. All right. The church are the instruments with which God carries on this work, and they are to work in it voluntarily and with their hearts. That's how we serve. Nothing is more fatal to a revival than for its friends to predict that it's going to stop. No matter what the enemies of the work may say about it, predicting that it, it, that it will all run out and come to nothing and the like, they cannot stop it in this way. And so the enemies of revival can't stop it, but the people of God, by believing that revival will cease, can stop it. He also said his number two rule or number two hindrance, wasn't a rule, to revival, was a revival will cease when, Christ, when Christians consent that it should cease. You know, I'm just not gonna consent that revival can, would cease. Amen? You know, we're, we're getting this, we've got this little bit of a wave that came through, and I don't believe that's the end of what God's going to do, but I don't wanna consent that, well, that, that was fun, and that was over. God wants us to walk in revival. And I do believe that we can walk in a cultural revival and walk in revival all the time. And I also believe that there are these bigger, larger outbreaks that could 
waves that could break out into a city and we could see 500,000 saved. What if, what if we saw 100,000 saved in our hometown? What would that look like? Amen. These ri- revivals, often churches would balloon to, uh, by 1,000 people just like that, like overnight as these revivals were happening. All right. That was the appetizer. So I'm going to speak this morning again on the power of agreement, and I want to look at James 5.16. I'm going to review a little bit where I've been a few last few weeks on Saturday nights. I've been doing some stuff around worship and around prayer. I just want to review that a little bit, and it's going to play into this. But James 5.16 says this, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. That's a powerful word right there. I'm not going to focus as much on that, but look, guys, we need to confess our faults to each other. We don't have to be strong. We need to confess our weaknesses to each other, and we need to walk together so that that healing will come here. But it goes on in the second part of this verse, and it says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so last few weeks, I've been looking at this word um, the, this effectual or effect. And that word is a, is a word that's used several times in the Bible. But what it means is um, it's, it's a Greek word, ergonama. And what that means is the focus or the results of God's energy. It's what God energizes. What God touches with his energy is the effect. And so this is saying here that the God-energized fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There's some good King James for you there. And so it's the operation of God's energy. It's what happens when God's energy comes into a room. It's what happens when God's presence, his energy, his power begins to touch people. And so that is ergonoma. And we see here that 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 prayer, that that, uh, energized prayer, God-energized prayer availeth much. It does much work. And I've been looking at this, and I've been looking at two categories of prayer around this, and, um, and they can overlap. As I share this, they can overlap, they can blend together, but I, I'm doing it on purpose because I want you to kind of see something here. I've really been talking a lot about this vertical type of prayer where prayer, it talks about in Revelation uh, 5, 8, and 8, 3, that it becomes incense. So prayer mixed with worship becomes incense in heaven and fills the heavens with incense. And I've been actually experiencing some of this. Some of you have experienced it where um, a fragrance would come into a room or it's come into my, my truck. Stacy always says, you always emphasize your truck. Yeah, I love my truck. So <laughs> it's in my truck. I mean, I'm worshiping this incense, this physical incense that I can begin to smell. And I begin to ask the Lord. I was like, Lord, and I shared this last week, I think. I was, Lord, what is that? Is that the, is that the, I've always thought of that as the fragrance of heaven. This is something that's happened around here at different times. Um, And it very well may be that, but what he showed me was the fragrance that I was smelling was our worship and our prayer. So he was allowing me to smell and others to smell what happens when our prayer and worship leave this earth. It doesn't stay just like it is here. It begins to create incense in the heavenly realm. And so he began to show me that, and uh, that'll, that'll do something if you start thinking about that in worship, right? And then someone told me that 
um, they were at a, a worship lab. I'd shared this in Palestine at Palestine Church, and they came up and they said, they said that they were at a worship lab, and a guy had a revelation of of that God that that fragrance he actually wears around him and on him. So wherever God goes, he actually carries the fragrance of our worship. Worship from all over the world, from believers all over the world, that God is carrying a fragrance. And you can see in Revelation, those angels, that those prayers and those bowls go up before incense before God. And so it's this type of prayer that is, is, is very vertical and it's really linked into worship. And when you see aromas and fragrances in the Bible, it's mentioned as sacrificial worship, sacrificial giving. Did you know your giving can create that fragrance as well? Uh, and then you see in Revelation those bowls that I was talking about. And then another type of prayer is what I, what I want to call breakout or breakthrough prayer, breakthrough, breakout prayer. That, that has, that's vertical, but it also has a very horizontal effect. And both of these things can, can, uh, can overlap, but the breakthrough prayer. So if the effectual or the divinely energized fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, what happens if we could multiply that? All right? So this is talking about a righteous man or woman. What happens if we multiply that? And I want to give you a verse that multiplies it. Matthew 18, 18. You with me? Yeah. All right. Matthew 18, 18 says, truly, I say to you, this is the words of Jesus, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Verse 19, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Remarkable promise that we've been given directly from Jesus. And so this is the multiplier effect right here. Because this talks about, the other verse talks about a righteous man. This begins to talk about what could happen when two or three are gathered. And I want to break this down if that's okay with you guys. And what I want you to catch in this as we look at this passage is there is a relational dynamic of prayer that for our prayers to be effective, for this promise to be released, that we have to understand that relational dynamic. And I'm gonna show you what I mean by that. Um, it says here, um, and so the context is us and Jesus. And so there's this relationship that is working here between us and with Jesus. And so let's look at this. It says that if two agree on earth, and the word agree there is a really powerful word in Greek. Um, it's uh, symphon, symphon, symphono, I believe is how you say it in Greek. I, you know, listen guys, <clears throat> this is my weakness. I go on YouTube and I'm like, I listen to the guy, symphono, symphono, and I'm like, symphono, symphono. And then I get up here and I say it completely different. So I, I try so hard. I, yeah, it's, it is. But I love it. I love to do word studies. There's so much you can get. And so that word is where we get the word symphony. And the meaning of that, the word is, is harmony or symphony. So to agree together 
in this context. So if two are agreeing on earth, it's talking about something that is in harmony. That if two are in harmony, that like a symphony, that if they're in harmony together, if they're blending together, then that, so that's where it starts us right there. And I think about, when I think about harmonized, I think about symphony, I think about what we were doing in worship. Why is worship so powerful? It's not just that we're singing, it's that we're singing together. There's nothing like corporate worship. I love to worship at home, but corporate worship takes on a dynamic that I, that I don't get when I'm alone because we become like a symphony together and there's, there's power in that. And there's agreement. When we sing these songs, there's an agreement that is happening among us that is releasing things into the earth and releasing breakthrough into this room, but it could also release it out into our city or into a nation. Amen? But I love Ephesians 5.19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And a symphony is many, and I want you to hear this, a symphony is many different instruments. It's not the same instrument. We can, ha- we can get into harmony, we can get into agreement and not all be the same. We can all have a different sound. I love the word that's been coming forth about the sounds of Austin that Jake had because there's different expressions. People have different ministries. People have different ways that God uses them. God has made us all unique, but we can come together and harmonize together. And really, you can't have harmony with one person. There has to be, and it can't even be the same, you know, I'm not a vocalist or whatever, so I I don't have all the terminology, but I just know this. Um, One time, a guy was teaching me how to sing harmony. He did like a barbershop quartet. And he's like, okay, you sing this and I'm gonna sing this. And it was so hard because you wanted to actually sing what he was, like at the, whatever you call it, the, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Make sure y'all put this on Instagram. I don't know, whatever that is. Uh, But you have to actually sing. uh, Y'all help me, musician. The octave, pitch, octave. It's the octave, so that's it. Yeah, so... You have to sing at a different octave than the other guy. So those barbershop quartets are all singing at a different octave, but it blends together. And I love that because we don't have to all sing at the same octave to be in harmony, right? In fact, we can't have harmony without the different octaves. We can't have what God wants us to be if we're all the same, if we're homogenous. He wants us to be diverse. There is power in our diversity. And it's important that we are diverse. We, can't, we need to be diverse in the gifts. If we all operate in healing, and we all can pray for healing, but if that's all our primary, then there's gonna be other things that we're lacking in. We need everyone. We need everyone to bring who they are to the table. And let me say this. Bring who you are to the table. Don't try to be like me. Bring who you are. Don't be afraid at Bethel Austin to bring who you are. Sometimes when we come in, we feel like to be accepted, to be a part, we have to be like everyone else. We lose out when that begins to happen. God wants us to be in harmony, and he wants us to be in agreement, but we're all going to be different. Amen? Amen. 
and I'd say this too, be careful about rejecting someone who does it differently than you. Be careful about pushing. It's like, man, I don't like the way they do it because I do it this way. Don't do that. Embrace who they are. Embrace what God brings through them, even if it's very different than what you do. And you'll be blessed. Amen? All right. You know, and I think about this symphony. I think about these instruments. And it makes me think about the song of the Lord. You know, when we all sing together in the spirit or, we, you know, with understanding. But we're all kind of singing something different. That's always amazed me. The first time I heard that was in ha Anaheim, California, 19, I think it was 1984. I went to a Signs and Wonders conference with John Wimber. I was 15 years old. And there were maybe 5,000 people at this conference. I go way back. I'm ancient. Some of you didn't know I was that old. But um, it was amazing. We, we didn't know anything about the gifts. We'd all gotten baptized with the Holy Spirit. We were operating the gifts. We didn't know, what we, we didn't know anything. And so we, we heard about this. So we, we uh, a bunch of Texans jump in a car, rent a Lincoln Continental. My uncle had a cowboy hat on. Now, I'm going to tell you a funny story. My uncle has a cowboy hat on. And we're driving around, and he was like, these people in L.A. are weird. <laughs> and I'm like, you're the weird one. You got boots and a cowboy hat on. Like, they're like, who is this guy? But anyway, so we go out there, and it was just amazing because they taught us about the gifts of the Spirit. It was so fresh how they did it. And they would demonstrate it. They would activate it. And um, they did a lot of, like, what Bill Johnson and Bethel has picked up. Uh, Vineyard kind of started activating the body in the gifts of the spirit. And it was really powerful. But, um, but this is the first time I ever heard the song of the Lord. And I was like, man, that was amazing. That was incredible to hear all those voices singing different things. And it sounded so beautiful. And, you know, the amazing thing about it is, let's, let's face it, guys. Most people don't sing that well, right? All right. Some do, some don't. Some are stronger. I'll say it this way. Some are trained and some are untrained. So if you find yourself in the untrained category, that's okay. Because here's what amazes me. When all those voices come together, it is fantastic. It's like a choir. Y'all want to do it right now? All right. Can we just stand for a second? I'm not done, but let's just stand for a second. All right, let's go. Thank you, Jesus. You can do it in the spirit. Oh. Yeah, go louder. Oh. Okay, let's stop. Do you hear that harmony? Isn't that, fa we're not trained, guys. That's amazing what we can do. I mean, we get it. These guys up here can do it. We, we can't. It's amazing. It sounds so beautiful. And it's, look, it creates this fragrance, this perfume that goes up to heaven. And I want to do that again for a moment. Um, and and this, is so, this is so like in Ephesians to me, where we're making melody in our heart to the Lord, and we're singing these spiritual songs. And so I want to do it again, but... I want you to do something. I want you to bring more of you into the song. All right? That was awesome, but I think we got a, a louder version of it, all right? So let's just do it. Just put off any self-consciousness because here's the thing. When we blend together, it's not, it's not just your voice. Your voice blends and becomes beautiful 
with everyone else. Amen? So let's do it again. Oh, praise you, Lord. Oh, oh, we worship you, Jesus. We praise your name, O oh Lord. Take it up a little bit more. We worship you, Lord. We worship you. We praise you. We praise you. Thank you, Jesus. Amazing. Sit down. You can sit down if you can. Now, I feel bad for you guys who are watching this over live stream because you just hear me and that's it. <laughs> I am so, it sounds beautiful in here, I promise you. All you got was me. But I, you know what? I, I don't care. It's beautiful to the Lord. <clears throat> so our voices, I mean, that's a demonstration of everyone seeing something different Different octaves, as we were told earlier, are happening. And this harmony begins to take place. That is, it's, to me, that is the most beautiful sound. Anytime I hear that, I'm like, this is, this is amazing, this is beautiful. It takes me back to when I first heard it. Because it's God's people worshiping in spirit and in truth. And it's so, so powerful. Amen. I'd encourage you sometime... You know, when I read, read that passage in Ephesians, sing over someone if they need breakthrough and see what happens. Maybe two or three of you sing over someone that needs breakthrough. All right. And it, it keeps going here. It says that they can ask about, about anything that they ask. So anything that they ask, it will be done for them. And this... Off, this gets mis, in, misused or misinterpreted sometimes, which leads people to disappointment because we need to understand something about this prayer. So it's two or three gathered together in harmony, but they're gathered together in Jesus in harmony. And so when we, when we pray, it's, it's not just anything that comes to our mind and we pray and it happens. People get very disillusioned and disappointment with that. They're like, okay, let's do it. And, and it doesn't happen. It's a, there's a relational equity, there's a relational part of this where we connect with each other and then we begin to connect into the harmony of Jesus. And as we connect into the Him, then we begin to pray in alignment with what, with Him. And that is where the power of this prayer is. It's inside of that relationship. And you can't have this type of prayer, this type of breakthrough, breakout prayer without that re relationship and without moving into that place of intimacy with Jesus. And that intimacy with him then creates an intimacy and in prayer with one another where we begin to move mountains. But we can't do, it's not just anything that we wanna pray, it's I'm getting in and I'm, I'm getting before Jesus and I'm hearing his heart and I'm beginning to echo, that echo that's coming out of heaven, I begin to echo back to him and it's something that begins to get released. So if you've ever been disillusioned that this didn't, this, I prayed this way and it didn't happen, I want to just encourage, don't get discouraged by that. 
You need to just get in that stream where Jesus is and just hear his heart. Amen? And, um, and it goes on. So it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. And then it says, two or three gathered. And I want to just uh, talk about the word gather for a minute. So when we gather, there's a power dynamic that's created. And um, we're told in Hebrews 10.25 that we're not to neglect gathering together. It may get a little tense in here in a minute. And so um, we're not to neglect gathering together according to the word. It's really, really important. You can't, you can't do church. You can't do this by yourself, what I'm talking about. Now, it's important to have a personal time with Jesus. I grew up Baptist. We call it quiet time. But I loved it, man. They, we, youth group, quiet time, quiet time, quiet time. It was drilled into me in a very good way that you need a personal time with Jesus. And we do, but there's something that we can't get alone that we get together. And we can't move into this type of prayer alone. It has to be together. And, um, and I want to give you a, a stat on church attendance here. And attendance is not the greatest word. Uh, I like the word engagement better, but I didn't see a lot of surveys on engagement. Um, because here's the thing, you can attend something and not engage with it. And it's important to, to engage. And, but the, here's the thing, you can't engage unless you show up. So the first thing is to gather, to show up, and then you've got to engage with what God's doing. But this survey, uh, now I got this off chat GPT, but I, I realize that thing gets crazy. I'm enamored with it. And... Um, but I said, give me your source, and it gave me the source, So, because I wanted a source. Now, with any survey, you guys know they survey a bunch of people, and it's, it, the number's not completely accurate. You, in fact, you know, I just chose the one that backed up my point, you know, the best, so that's what I did, <laughs> just being honest. So, so I don't know, you know, if this is, it's probably not quite right, but it, but it will kind of, it's, it's probably within some kind of ballpark. And so this was a religious landscape study by the Pew Research Center in 2021. And um, it said that 67% of evangelical Christians attend church once per month or less. Now, if you put that against engagement, so that's attendance. Engagement would be much, much less. And that feels like a problem to me. I don't know about you. And I realize gathering together is not always in this room. It happens other ways. Um, but I think it does say something about uh, the reason that a lot of things are the way that they are. And maybe the things that we're not seeing that we would like to see is because we're not gathering and then engaging with Jesus in what he's doing. So I want to encourage you to prioritize and align your life in a way that you can gather with other believers. Make sure that you're not allowing things to come into your life that begin to take that engagement away. Because coming together with other believers is the most important, around Jesus, is the most important thing you can do in life. And there are so many things that will pull us away from that. There are a lot of good things that will pull us away from that. 
but we need to prioritize it. And then I want to encourage you this. If you're going to gather, engage. Don't just be an attender of church. Don't sit back and not bring yourself into the mix. Don't sit back and watch. Don't sit back and not get in community. I would encourage you, get in community. You know, we have 20 life groups here. If you need community during the week, we've got it. We've got all kinds of other ministries. We've got men's. We've got women's. We've got different areas and places that you can connect. We've got different ministries that you can come in and exercise and engage that way and begin to see God release things in our city. We had some up here this morning. And so I want to encourage you to engage in not just coming to church, but engage in getting into community. Amen? Because this type of prayer is relational. And then he goes on and says, in my name. So, in the name of Jesus, speaking to this position that we have in Christ, I love how Paul often would greet, and there's a great one in Colossians 1, 2, he said to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So in Christ at Colossae, and I love his usage of language there because he puts in Christ first and at Colossae, which is where the Colossian church was located. So you could say we're, we're in Christ, but we're at Austin. And so that terminology puts Austin in a secondary place. So the first place that we are is in Christ and I've shared this before, but we are in Christ, but we are at Austin. And it's important that we're engaging here and we're doing the things that we need to do and we're bringing the kingdom here, but we need to first understand our location is actually in Christ. Where do you live? If I ask you where you live, don't tell me you live in Austin. Tell me you live in Christ and you live at Austin. It, when it, that at to me, it's, it's like a temp, it sounds temporary to me. It sounds like a place that I'm just passing through, that it's not a place that I live. I live in Christ, but I'm, I'm at here. But while I'm here, while I'm passing through this life, I want to bring kingdom into it. Amen? And so another important point when we come in his name, we have to understand we don't, we don't just have access to him. We're actually already in him. We're not coming to try to walk through some, a door or knock on a door as much as we are already in him. And so when I come in prayer, it's really important that I, I begin to understand that I am actually in Christ. And so when I begin to gather with others and I begin to get into that harmony with Jesus, that confidence piece in my praying is because I know that I'm positionally in Christ and I actually have the ability to ask. I've been granted the privilege, I don't want to say right, but the privilege by Jesus to ask the Father for amazing things that he wants to do in the earth. All right? And then it says, really powerful here, there am I among them. That's powerful. And I've said it over and over, but harmonizing is not just with us, but it's Jesus being in the room with us being in that place with us as we gather together, as we begin to engage with each other, and we begin to have that relationship. Again, that engagement is about relationship. And so I begin to engage with each other. We engage with Jesus, and there he is in our midst, which is powerful. There his presence is. There his glory is. 
that, that incense of heaven begins to, to begin to seep out and seep into the place that we are because Jesus is carrying that fragrance wherever he goes and that fragrance begins to come and envelop us and our prayers take on, go into a whole new place because now we are relationally connected with him and we are partnering with him with his desire, with his purpose in the earth. It's God's desire. It's not about what I desire. It's about what Jesus wants to do. And I want to get into the place with brothers and sisters where I can begin to hear what Jesus wants to do. And as I do that, that power and that presence begin to flow. And that's where I want to live. Amen. I taught a class called uh, A Tale of Two Revivals. And I've taught it several times. I, I taught it at the church I was at before, Bethel Austin. I've ta I taught it here way back in the pre-launch. I think it was the first class that I taught here. And uh, God showed up in that class. We were, I mean, fire showed up in that, that class. But we're, we were talking about, I contrasted the Welsh and the Fulton Street revival in New York. And... Um, we talk about breakthrough, but breakout, I think, is something larger. And I want to I just turn us out for a second. So breakout, something that breaks out of a meeting like this and breaks out onto a city or even a nation. And the, these two revivals were so different. They looked so different. They were very diverse. All revivals, if you really get into them, God did so many different things, and, so, and he did it so many different ways. But Fulton Street was known as the prayer revival or also the layman's revival. And um, it was a prayer meeting started in lower Manhattan with businessmen um, for one hour a day, one hour at noon. And the first meeting had six people, the second 20, the third 40. Within a few weeks, there was a daily meeting of 3,000. And then there was a, uh, then in a few months, there were 10,000 people across New York City praying at, at noon every day. And then it broke out into the U.S. You know, you can read newspaper accounts. It was in Waco. I don't know about Austin, but, but these prayer meetings were all over the place. And the interesting thing about them is they had a lot of structure. This will blow some of your revival minds. And I've shared about this before, so you might have heard me share it. But they were extremely structured. If I put up a program up there, you'd be like, how do they even do that? It was one hour, and it had a structure to it, and it was all prayer. And uh, the thing is, that revival released a glory cloud over the United States. It was said you could feel it over one-third of the United States. This was in 1857. One million salvations in, in the United States when there were 30 million people. It wasn't near as big as it is now. Um, Often in the prayer meetings, people would stand up to be saved. Think about that. The, the lost are coming to prayer meetings, to, and they get saved. Um, the most notable thing about it to me was instant answers to prayer. So they would, they would pray. They would read a list. They would stand up and read a list, and every single thing on the list would be prayed. They would get reports back that it happened at that very time that they had prayed it. And this was over and over thousands and thousands of prayers 
and it spread out, and these prayer meetings were happening all over the U.S. Finney was at the end of his ministry, and he said, it seems that people don't want to hear preaching anymore. They just want to pray. <laughs> he was a good preacher, too. And so that's so powerful. So a lot, but it had a lot of structure. And um, let me just read you a testimony real quick, and then I'll, I'll contrast the, the Welsh revival. We're going to land this pretty soon. So if you haven't heard this, we read this one time in a service, but probably some of you weren't here. Uh, this is a New York Times article in March 20, some, somewhere around 1857, 58. New York Times had this to say about the revival. The great wave of religious excitement, which is now sweeping over the nation, is one of the most remarkable movements since the Reformation. Travelers, travelers, travelers relate that on cars and steamboats and banks and markets, everywhere through the interior, this matter is an absorbing topic. Churches are crowded. Bank directors, rooms become oratories, schoolhouses are turned into chapels, converts are numbered by the scores of thousands. In the city, we've beheld a sight which not the most enthusiastic, fanatic, or church for church observances could ever have hoped to look upon. We've seen in a business court of the city the busiest hour assemblies of merchants, clerks, and working men to the number of some 5,000 gathered day after day for the simple and solemn worship similar Assemblies we find in other portions of the city, a theater turned into a chapel, churches of all sects are open and crowded day and night. This was the New York Times, guys, and I, I was thinking about this, and I thought, maybe Christians should spend more time praying for the New York Times than moaning because the secular institution doesn't line up with its values. What do we expect the New York Times to do, Right? But there was a time that the New York Times was reporting on revival, and I kind of want to lay a hold of that and start praying for the New York Times, not complaining about what they put out. What they put out is expected. But God did something so powerful that they recognized it back then. Let me just read you another one here. This is Fulton as well. This was 1858. A schoolboy in a class became so troubled about his soul that the schoolmaster sent him home. An older boy, a Christian, went with him, and before they had gone far, led him to Christ. Returning at once to school, this new convert testified to his teacher, Oh, I am so happy. I have the Lord Jesus in my heart. These simple words had an astonishing effect. Boy after boy rose silently and left the room. Going outside, the teacher found these boys all on their knees in a row along the wall of the playground. Very soon, their silent prayer became a bitter cry. It was heard by another class inside and pierced their hearts. They fell on their knees, and their cry for mercy was heard in turn by the girls' class above. In a few moments, the whole school was on their knees. Neighbors and passers-by came flocking in, and as they crossed the threshold, they all came under the same convicting power. Every room was filled with men, women, and children seeking God. <laughs> That's an outbreak, right? Now, the Welsh revival, complete opposite. In structure, there was very little planning in the Welsh Revival. They sang a lot, like they were known for their singing. They were known for the song of the Lord. In fact, people were blown away because people out, lined up outside the building and people inside the building would often spontaneously break into the exact same song without knowing that the other one did it at the very same moment. And it would blow people's minds when they came in because they couldn't believe what they were hearing. And so worship, it would go for hours. Their meetings were for hours, often all day and all night. Often people would be lined up 
uh, in the morning as the, the night, the night uh, service came out because they went all night and then they would go all day. And so those people would go all night and then they would work in the coal mines often or different places, but uh, they have this supernatural thing happening. The whole country was taken over by God. There was 100,000 salvations in a population of 1.4 million. And let me just read one testimony on that. These two factors alone resulted in a substantial economic impact on the whole community. The famous Welsh singing festivals, which have been so popular, closed down during the revival because of their famous vocalists, such as the Sankeys and Alexanders, were now singing hymns in revival meetings. The theaters and football stadiums likewise closed down for lack of interest. Political meetings were canceled or abandoned. Many of the elected officials, even those from London, abandoned their seats in Parliament to participate in the revival meetings. Businesses founded upon honorable trades and products prospered. Those that operated on vice went out of business. Now listen to that, guys. A revival will put vice out of business. I don't know what boycotts really do. I haven't seen one ever actually boycott work. But revival hits, vice goes away, right? Possibly never before in history has an entire society been so profoundly transformed by spiritual revival in such a short time. And so one of the things that God showed me was that this revival that he's going to bring and that, is, that we're, we're already seeing, it feels like, uh, the edges of this and uh, is going to have characteristics of both of these. But the reality is we can't put it in a box. We can't say revival is going to look like this. A lot of people say, well, if we meet every night, that's revival. No, that could be a response to revival, but it may not look like that. And so I think it's important not to get caught up into the form, but let's just follow Jesus. Let's just gather together around him and let's allow God to do what he's going to do. So I want to give you just really quick. I got like two minutes left. I want to give you a little bit of a paraphrase of the two scriptures that I've been working off today. And uh, this is just my version of a paraphrase that I put together. When righteous people gather together in the name of Jesus and begin to fervently harmonize together with him, he is among them energizing their prayers. Anything they ask will be done by the Father in heaven. Let's stand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Before we go, I just want to sing one more time, just for a moment, right? And if you, if there's someone in here that you have a chronic issue and need breakthrough, I, I want you just to lift your hand, like a chronic, this is something that really affects your life. Look, okay, keep it up. We're going to just sing, but I want to make some, some of you, you won't all be able to get around these guys. But just get around them, and we're going to sing for breakthrough over them. Amen? Can we do that? So just get around them. Let's just take a minute, and then you'll be able to go get your kids. Let's start singing, guys. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, we worship you, Jesus, we worship you.
We harmonize with you, Jesus. We harmonize with you. We harmonize with you. Just keep singing just for a moment more. The other last Saturday night as we were singing, I began to hear angels to the right of the room. And what was powerful is they were barely singing over top of us, but they were, what blew my mind is they were harmonizing with us. They were actually singing the song that we were singing. We harmonize with you, Jesus. We give our lives to you this morning, fresh Jesus. We surrender, we surrender to you. Thank you, Jesus. Surrender to him this week. Gather together in his name. Harmonize. And whatever we ask in that moment will be done. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.